Hello, I'm really glad you've joined us online today. Last week, we looked at how we carry around a treasure with us, those of us who follow Christ. And the treasure is the message that God uses to change lives for everybody who accepts that message. After my dad's funeral, which made me grateful that he heard the message and responded to the message, accepted it, made Jesus his Lord, uh, that, that's the good news about what Jesus does for us. But anyway, after his funeral, he was 93 uh, when he died, and my mom, brother, and sister, and I decided to go take a tour of my hometown of Southgate near downtown L.A. As we toured the places that were important to us, most of them had changed. It was amazing. My brother's favorite hamburger joint, Lucky Boy, was now McDonald's. That that was tragic. Uh, the church we grew up in became an apartment building. It was torn down and became an apartment building. And then we turned down our street to go to our house that we lived in. Uh, my parents, my dad built it from the ground up with his own hands, and they lived in it for 42 years. And when we got to the house, the guy who bought it was a contractor, and he had built out the the front four feet or so, and so the front yard was different. There were pillars, kind of Roman pillar kind of things, and that's the point at which my sister started crying. <laughs> um, things change. Change happens all the time. And as I thought about it, the church building... And the houses aren't what we should treasure, but the people in those places are what we treasure. Houses and buildings contain treasures inside. In the same way, Christ followers are carrying around a treasure inside of us, those of us who follow Christ. Here's the passage that we started digging into last week, and we're going to dig into it a little more this week. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 7. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have, have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Veiled means that it's in plain sight, but people can't see it. So we need to pray for them that God turns the lights on in their hearts, and we'll see this in a moment. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, 
and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. So this is a reference to the power that God displayed in creation, in creating light itself. That same God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The same God who has the power to create the universe has the power to shine his light into the hearts of those who seek him. And that's what happens. It, it, it's, it's a tremendous thing. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, the passage continues, to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Our bodies are jars of clay that contain this treasure that has changed our life, which part of the treasure is the testimony we share. And they, our bodies don't last forever. Our soul does, but our bodies don't. The message is that treasure inside of us. The first verse in this passage gives us our motivation for sharing the treasure. 2 Corinthians 4.1 Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. When we're thinking about inviting a friend or family member to church, or trying to share the gospel with them, the good news of the message of Christianity at the heart of Christianity, it's easy to lose heart and get discouraged and get into fear. What motivates us to push through that fear is the message, the mercy. (laughs) In other words, I should have said, The mercy of God who has poured his mercy into our hearts. It's by his mercy that we even have this ministry. Mercy means that we haven't received the punishment that we deserve. But we instead have received the kindness of God. And that kindness leads us to repentance. In gratitude, then, we, we keep trying to help others taste the good goodness of God by sharing this message. That's the treasure inside of us. If we know God, we know his mercy, his love, and his faithfulness to us, and this makes us want to do what's important to him. A core factor in junior high children doing well and adopting the values of their parents is their relationship with their parents. Often this this is missed, but if the relationship is good, they adopt the parents' values. If it's bad, they don't. They find somebody who they think will love them. If Most kids know that their parents like them or love them, I should say, but if they don't think they like them, then they try to find somebody who does. And that's that's a problem, usually, because there are all kinds of 
influences that come at that time in life in junior high that could lead them astray and get them involved in all kinds of stuff. It's the same in our relationship with God. We want to do what's important to him because of what he's done for us out of his love. John says that we love because he first loved us. He's the starting point. He's the launching ground for our love. And his mercy compels us to share the good news that the heart of Christianity with others. You may be scared when you're thinking about inviting others to church or sharing the gospel message. But if you are grateful and take initiative, God can use you and wants to use you to connect others to him. There is clear direction in this passage for how to share the treasure with others. God set some boundaries in it, and therefore we we know when we're outside of the boundaries. There are several things when people bust through the boundaries for sharing the message that cheapen the message. In, in contrast to cheapening the message, this passage gives us the best approach to sharing the treasure. First of all, we should use no deception in inviting people to church or in sharing the gospel. Paul says we have renounced secret and shameful ways. Nothing should be under the table. I don't know if you've been playing uh, a game, a card game with somebody, and, and cheaters, what cheaters do is they pass cards under the table to get to, to enhance their hand. <laughs> and that, that's not good. Um, when you invite someone to church, it should be straightforward and you should tell them what to expect. There, you, you should explain. This is what happens. There are people singing songs, sort of like karaoke. I, somebody who was new to church said that, hey, we sing karaoke at church. And that's kind of what it's like if you think about it. So there are people singing songs like karaoke with the words on the screen. A message is taught from the Bible. And then a couple more songs and we're dismissed. If you're investigating Christianity, I want you to know that we are trying to set forth the truth plainly so that you can examine it in a way that makes sense to you. We don't want to distort the word of God, as the passage says. The word distort here is from a root word that means to catch with bait. A lure deceives the fish and hooks them and it hooks them by the mouth and brings them into the boat against their will. <laughs> they don't want that. They're fighting. And we don't use lures at Church in the Valley. This is not the way God works and we don't either. 
At CIV, we aim to help people understand the real nature of the commitment they're making to follow Christ if they're considering it. And, and we, we share the message and we hope that people pull in to follow Christ. But we do that, we share the message by setting forth the truth plainly. There is no bait and switch, and there shouldn't be when sharing the gospel. Uh, We want people to know what it really means to follow Christ as Lord, because if they don't know what to expect and what it really means to follow Jesus, and they, they, they won't get the benefits from following him. Their faith would be weak. There's no way that it's going to withstand the turbulence of this life. Also, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The idea in the word conscience, it's a word that means communicating a message that we want others to see completely. That's the idea here. It's The goal is co-perception. You don't ask people to do something that they're not ready to do in committing their life to Christ. If people cave into something under pressure, they have violated their conscience. And we don't use those kind of pressure tactics at CIV. Think about buying a car at a dealership. Um, A transaction that should take 30 minutes takes three or four or more hours. And there is, at a traditional dealership, there is a tremendous amount of pressure applied to buy the car. And frankly, if I go to a dealership, I want to buy the car. And so it's, <laughs> there's a fight in me to do that. But we don't do pressure tactics here. We need to consistently pray for those who don't yet know Christ, the passage tells us, because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This blinding is due to Satan, who is the God of this age, and to the culture we live in, which is sliding fast. The blinding is our natural state as a human American, or really anybody in the world. It's it's a natural state. It, it doesn't make sense to Americans to follow Christ. Next, the passage tells us, that our aim should be to make an investment in the people around us by serving them. Ourselves, we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. When we look out for the interests of others and we serve them, we build trust and we generate goodwill. And that's, that brings people along. And Jesus leads us to serve others. And that's how we build a bridge. In our families, at work, with our friends, 
When we constantly seek the good of others, they trust us. And we build a bridge for the gospel to be shared or for invitations to follow Christ to be accepted. Our role is to invest in others and invite them to meet Jesus Christ. That's the the treasure that we share with others. And it's a tremendous privilege to share that treasure. I want you to think about the concept of an invitation. The word invite is a verb. It means to request the presence or participation of in a kindly, courteous, or complimentary way, especially to request to come or go to some place, gathering, entertainment, etc., or to do something. Think about your life. Think about all the invitations you've received up to this point. In my own life, uh, there have been some really notable, very important invitations that I have received or extended. Here they are. I grew up in a church. And at that church in Southgate, um, there would be what was called an invitation after the end of every service. And the pastor would give the invitation, and he would invite you to walk the aisle and commit your life to follow Christ. And I I did that. I accepted the pastor's invitation, and my life was changed from that day forward. I was invited to play baseball for Baylor University by their coach. That didn't turn out like I expected, but God used that experience at Baylor to confirm his call on my life. I was listening to, I was miserable at Baylor. I'm not proud of that. I, I missed my mom for sure. And LA and Waco, Texas, very different places for sure. Um, but I was listening to, I was driving around listening to an interview with Bill Russell, the great NBA great. And he was asked, he was about to retire and he was asked, why he retired, or it was after he retired. He said, I realized I was a grown man trying, running around half naked trying to throw a leather ball through a round hoop. And God said, Randy, you're not doing much better. You're trying to hit a little leather ball over the fence, or you're trying to throw it to second base. I was a catcher. You're trying to throw it to second base before... Uh, before the guy gets there and God spoke and I listened and I came back to CBC at the time, CBU now in Riverside for the second semester of my freshman year. While at, C- C- uh, while at CBC, CBU now, I received an invitation from a man named Thad King to be discipled by him. That was a huge help to me. I was humbled by my experience at Baylor, and I was ready to learn. I, God had changed something in me on the inside, confirmed my call, 
And now I wanted to learn how to walk with him and get after it. Thad King was a tremendous help to me. In 1977, I invited Cindy to marry me, and we call that a proposal. Um, she accepted my invitation, and we got married in 79. An invitation Cindy received to go to church has changed her life, and it's been a blessing to me because she wouldn't have gone to CBU if she wasn't involved in church, she wouldn't even have known about CBU. And I would have never met her if she wasn't invited to church that day by her neighbor. This is the way life works. We are shaped by the invitations we accept. Think about that. What about you? What, what have been some of the significant invitations in your life? Take a moment to think about that. Jot them down or make a mental note. How many of you are watching this online because somebody invited you to do so? One of the best ways to help your friends and neighbors meet Jesus is to invite them to church. Here's an example. It's kind of a fun example of an awkward invite. Let's watch this together. Tough day on the back nine for Joe McElvaney. If he does not sink this putt, he will not move on to Sunday tournament play. However, losing today may not be the worst thing for Joe considering his love of the game is outweighed by his love for going to church with his family on Sunday mornings. He's a true inspiration for all of us here on the tour. Although, if he's knocked out of the tournament today, the real tragedy won't be that another Sunday will go by without Joe McElvaney advancing to the final round on Sunday. No, the real tragedy is that another Sunday will go by without him inviting his best friend in the whole world to church. You know, you'd think, after all these years, that Joe would consider the fact that his buddy Steve may want to go to church to cleanse himself from his selfish, sinful heathenry. But enough about that. Joe's got a 12-footer to sink here. Do you want to go to church with us tomorrow? Yeah. Joe seems a bit distracted today. He really needs to make this putt, or he's going to have to buy his pagan friend lunch. Miss it! Don't do an awkward invite like that, but... I would encourage you to invite a friend, a neighbor, or a family member to the Easter service coming up because it may change their life. Life's defining moments often involve an invitation. As a result of an invitation we accepted, our life changed, 
often in a very significant way. So I invite you, offer an invitation to a friend, a family member, or a neighbor. We should follow the example of the first disciples who gave invitations to meet Jesus. John 1, 40-42 is an example of one of those. One of the two who heard John speak, John the Baptist, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It means the rock. I encourage you to follow Andrew's example and invite your friends, neighbors, and family members to the Easter service. When we invite someone to CIV, we're inviting them to meet Jesus if they don't already know him. They will hear the gospel at CIV, and they will have the opportunity to become followers of Christ, which is what Andrew's brother Peter did. And he made a tremendous, Peter, Andrew and Peter made a tremendous impact on the world. We're going to talk about that on Easter. Here's another invitation to meet Jesus from an early follower. John 1, 43 through 46, the passage, the verses that just follow the verses I just read. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. That's an honest question. Nathanael was a pure man, and he's like, Nazareth is a sin city. How could anything good come out of there? But it did. Andrew invited Simon Peter, and Philip invited Nathanael. Those aren't the only invitations we see in Scripture. Here are some more invitations uh, in the Gospels. The Samaritan woman invited her whole town. Samaritan woman who met Jesus was changed by a conversation with her, and she decided to follow him. Jesus broke through many barriers in this conversation with her, and I don't have time to list them all, but she experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and went back to her town and invited them all to come and see him and meet him. Matthew invited all his friends to meet Jesus. Matthew was a despised tax collector. The Jews hated the tax collectors because they were typically Jewish men who worked with Rome and Rome was oppressing the Jewish people, the nation of Israel at the time. It was under siege. And this despised tax collector, Matthew, invited Jesus to dinner with his friends. 
They were also tax collectors, so they were considered the scum of the earth as well. But he wanted them, his friends, to meet Jesus. Why did these folks invite their friends and their family to meet Jesus? Because their lives had been changed by Jesus. They had to share Jesus with those they cared about and anyone else who would listen so they too could experience life change that Jesus brings. I, I think that while we sometimes overcomplicate, well, actually, I think we sometimes overcomplicate uh, telling others about Jesus, giving invitations. We underestimate the power of an invitation. Our mission as a church involves invitations. CIV's mission is to invite our neighbors to discover Christ through his life-changing community. People really underestimate the power of an invitation, and they underestimate the power of life change that happens if you're connected to a church community. If you find a church to connect with, stick with it. It's not easy to find. It, it seems like it should be, but it's not easy to find people that you connect with and that can help you grow in your walk with Christ. It's an incredibly valuable thing. I want to encourage you in three things to do as we prepare for Easter. As we get ready to celebrate Easter next week, first of all, pray. Pray for individuals and family members in your spheres of relationships who currently don't know Jesus. Pray intentionally and specifically for God to open up an honor opportunity for you to be an influence to them and pray for a specific person's life with the goal of seeing them come to faith in Jesus Christ. Then, being very intentional about the relationship, invest your personal resources into building relationships for the purposes of sharing Christ. If, if you haven't made a conscious effort, a conscious effort to serve those around you up to this point, start doing it and commit to start making an investment in them by serving them. Paul said, uh, in Second Corinthians four, we ourselves as yours are your servants for Jesus sake. We serve. Jesus came to serve. That's He stated that. He came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we follow Jesus, the one who served. And so we make an investment in the people around us, the people at at our, in our neighborhood, at work, and in our family, and if we do, we, we build trust with them, and, and they are able to be drawn to, uh, to Christ through that. Look for opportunities to invite people into your life, into your home, and to church. Ask God for one person who's not a family member, 
who you already have some form of relationship with and commit to these things, these three things. Pray for them. If you haven't been praying for them and continue, if you have, invest in the relationship. Just get into their lives and be there for them. Serve them. Help them. This is what Jesus does for us. And invite them to the Easter service. Or if if you think something else would be uh, make sense to them, invite them to some event that CIV is putting on. And do that with the purpose of sharing Christ with them so that they can hear the gospel message at CIV or so that you can share the message with yourself, with, with them yourself. Um, here are some next steps that I'd like to suggest today. My next step today is for the first time I'm deciding to follow Christ as Lord today. Maybe you've been considering it. Maybe you've understood the gospel in, in a, in a way that you haven't before and you're ready to commit. Check that box and let us know that you're ready to commit. Another step would be to pray for and invite at least one friend or neighbor to the Easter service next week. And then another step, invest in friends and neighbors around you to share the love of Christ with them as he motivates you by his mercy to serve. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the mercy you've shown to us, the grace you pour out and the love you pour out into our hearts, you have turned the light on for us, those of us who follow Christ. And I I ask that you would help us, God, to, to take these steps that you've laid on our heart to take, and that you would be honored as we take them, and that you would give us the strength to take them. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.